Oh my, hey, it's Jeff, and this is the Attentionist Podcast with Jeffrey Little. The episode about to begin is entitled Sub Rosa. It is a more thorough production than really others that I've created. I believe I've created 14 of these independent uh, short story like vignette audio productions. One of the phrases that I use for describing these fictitious moments is brief, wild, immersive fiction. (laughs) So this episode, Sub Rosa, I took some risks uh, that will become apparent pretty much right away. And I am just hoping that, dear listener, you uh, are up for some some interesting stuff. Thank you so much. There's some more chats on the backside of this roughly 25-minute produced audio story. So here we go, everyone. Sub Rosa. The summer before my senior year, with three high school girlfriends, I secured a job at the Flairton Resort and Eagle in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. We were hired as housekeepers. We turned over the beds and the linens. We wiped down surfaces, mopped tile floors and walls, and got unflushed shit piles to finally flush down the toilets. The main resort building was huge, with 400 plus guest rooms. Every day, our department worked from the 5th floor through to the 12th. It was a constant cycle of stocking our service carts, cleaning, trash bag management, and guessing were people still in their rooms or not, despite how many knocks we had at the door. Occasionally, we were interrupted by a surprise, and not of a happy kind, such as the time I felt a drip on the back of my neck, only to see a load of vomit falling onto me from the ceiling. To get to the Flairton, we city employees were provided company bus transport. We'd gather at dawn at the North Knoxville Kmart parking lot, The quiet AM journey would wind down Highway 441, increasingly deep into the foothills of the majestic Smoky Mountains. Of course, since as the fog was that time of day, you couldn't see a damn thing. After several weeks in housekeeping, I was starting to figure a few things out about hospitality operations. There was an entire part of the kitchen enterprise assigned to just one thing, baked goods. I was determined to find a way in to the pastry shop for two reasons. One, it paid an extra dollar fifty an hour. And two, 
you didn't have to touch nothing gross. I was the oldest child. From what I heard, I learned to walk, pulling on my mama's apron strings. She was always in the kitchen, and so was I. As soon as I was able, she had me making dough, cakes, bread, biscuits. Long as mama had flour, sugar, salt, eggs. Something good was possible. All of this was what I said when I snuck down to see Ida, the big shop chef. I told her I'd seen the announcement posted in the break room that the big shop was hiring. She asked, how soon could I start? I said, I'll ask my boss. Two days later, I was wearing a traditional chef's uniform with that white double-breasted jacket, white hat, and pants, and a black and white houndstooth pattern. I should have paid more attention to what Ida had been making in the big shop. It wasn't so much southern classics from the oven as it was boulangerie, patisserie, baguette, croissant. These were not words I knew before working for Ida. We reviewed books, notebooks, pictures, other typed instructions. Eventually, I was proficient as a pastry sous chef. As the many hours went by and turned into days, I realized I did have a question for Ida. Ida, y'all got every kind of fancy dessert and savory thing I've ever seen, but I don't see no cinnamon bread. Ida looked confused, then uninterested. I said, well, let me make you some. The short version of that story goes like this. My cinnamon bread, with its lemon essence glaze and tight, spice-loaded, no-gap swirl, was soon commissioned to be made daily for the entire resort. It seemed like overnight, but I was constantly making and baking cinnamon bread. By July 4th weekend, this recipe of mine was announced as the successor to the venerated Flatten Beak Sugar Cookie. The new bread was served as round slices, two inch in diameter, one half inch tall, with a daub of my special glaze, emblematic of an eagle in flight. At the end of every workday, I made my way to the back loop of the main resort building, the cordoned off service corridor. It led to a line of repurposed school buses, now painted blue with the resort's Eagle logo. Work got off at 5 p.m. And unless you were trying to flirt with disaster, you were aboard the bus well before the 5.30 departure time. Now, I was the original ringleader of us four housekeeping girls from Knoxville. Me, Kriana, Michelle, and Nikki had started this summer escapade together. But then I'd left the original plan for my new one. I saw them every day I worked. It 
was awkward. But maybe I should back up even more, because back in April, I'd explained to the girls what I'd heard a few women in the beauty shop talking about, that the 1982 World's Fair and all the money and attention and heart put into it had been far better off for Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg than the scruffy city as we were known. Where was our boom ten years later? Before my dad died, he'd been a worker for the fair and the plans preceding it. He built out one facility downtown after another. Have you been to the old city? All kind of conference rooms, exhibitions, built by my father there. But after the fair had gone, no one kept coming back. Instead, it was the close side of Smoky Mountains National Park that got all the people and all the money. Didn't their success belong to me? Belong to us? Dad said the gold ball on the stick downtown was a phallus, perennially sticking it to us, distracting us from wealth established up in those mountain preserves. Was he right? I didn't know. But I felt like I was getting closer to figuring more things out by having a summer at the Flanton Resort. Any of us in Knoxville deserve the good pickings from down there. I was done with babysitting in my boring neighborhood, hearing one gossipy story after another from a housewife or a kid or maybe the delivery man himself wondering about some news he'd heard. That was just watching time go by. Well, I came to try my luck among the vacation class and I had three fellow explorers along my side, two of which were on their way to hating my guts. Kriana flat out pleaded with me to hire her in the bakery, said she hated stripping those linens, making up beds, and vacuuming floors with mostly broken vacuums. I said I would see if the bake shop might be able to do that, but that decision Worn up to me. For Michelle's birthday, I made her up a personal cake. It had her favorite coconut icing. I later presented the little box, all fancy-like, with the hotel insignia. She took it on the bus ride home, not smiling on nothing. That was super dumb in retrospect. Once at home, she probably dropped it straight in the trash. I'd known Michelle and Kriana since the ninth grade. We'd always been friends, sometimes close friends. But now they added me to their daily roles and responsibilities, their job of avoiding Elizabeth. They would gather on the front of the bus in the mornings and at night. I took it as my plight to stay far away, and I would head to the back. Now, Nikki... I had known for a couple years, but we had only really gotten to know each other a bit in recent months. She was a grade younger, old enough to have a quote-unquote real job, you know, where they tax you, social security you, and the rest of it. Nikki's father was a professor at Knoxville College. She was smart. So maybe it was her naivety or cheerful disposition or something else 
but her jab and housekeeping didn't seem to get to her. She never complained or seemed thrown off. Uh, maybe she was just a very decent person. I ended up talking to Nikki about the cinnamon bread phenomenon. I had to tell someone. She thought it was crazy. And she thought I was going to be famous. I said, well, I was already sick of making the same thing every day. So if fame was coming, it better come soon. Nikki reminded me how the maids were trained to finish turning over a guest room, leaving a folded toilet paper bird atop the back of each commode. I said, oh, oh yeah, I remember that. I was never in a good at making those. It was harder than it needed to be and a waste of toilet paper. Of course, however crude the bird looked, even at its best, was supposed to resemble the resort mascot. She said, she and the other girls still whispered, fecal eagle, a joke I had made up. I took an odd pride that something, however weird, endured from my stunted housekeeping career. The eagle thing is just everywhere around here, I continued. Shoved at us at every opportunity, yet has anyone seen an eagle in the sky at the Flareton? You know who doesn't struggle with eagles, said Nikki, and they're just a few miles down the road. Dollywood. They got an entire eagle sanctuary there. They got animal staff that monitor a dozen eagle nests. Maybe they stole all of our eagles. <laughs> I don't think so, I replied. Eagles are wild. I don't think you can trick them or make them do much of anything except be themselves. Eagles go where they please. Mr. Guinness Grayson. Wearing his clean, pressed dark blue suit and tie, he stood in contrast to Ida and I, partially covered in flour, as you could see by our company-issued brown aprons. Ida said, Ah, Mr. Grayson, it is so nice to see you today. Now, Mr. Grayson's salt and pepper hair was especially quaffed. His nose and chin were angular, like he'd come from another part of the world. But when Mr. Grayson spoke, there was nothing recognizable in his accent. I responded to his outstretched hand, feeling my face getting warm. Yes, sir. My name is Elizabeth Meredy. Thank you, young lady, for all you bring to your role at the Flareton. 
Yes, sir, I said. You're welcome. I was trying to figure out, was he about to give me an award or a promotion or an envelope full of cash? I was the one behind the cinnamon bread. Everybody knew it. Who knew it? But he hadn't mentioned anything about that. Well, Elizabeth and Ida, today we have a company announcement. I brought with me Bill, our resort marketing director. <laughs> Mr. Grayson turned around to the person standing behind him in the crowded space. Bill, Bill, come here. Bill, tell him the great news. Well, today we're announcing Guinness Eagle Loaf, a product that will be not only served daily, resort-wide, but also beyond our premises and regionally. The delicious cakes will be available in two dozen grocery stores throughout Knoxville and East Tennessee. Select Cracker Barrels will also feature the loaf. Well, that's just the beginning of the discussion about the Eagle Loaf. Go ahead and tell them some specifics. It's Guinness' old image emblazoned on the wing-shaped cake's wrapper. Each cake is covered in cellophane. Their individual shelf life is over eight months from the date of manufacture. Bill, you came up with all these amazing features. Are you guys, are you guys excited as I am? I'm excited. Mr. Grayson, we will do everything we can to ensure the success of Guinness Eagle Loaf. Thank God Ida was there to say something. I didn't know what to say. Our bake shop is small in number, but mighty. Oh, did I not mention we're using, we're using an outside vendor in Oak Ridge to make all the, uh, Guinness Eagle Loaf? Yeah, manufacturing is really the way to go for mass product awareness, so, uh, you guys don't have to keep doing the, uh, the cinnamon bread. Yeah, uh, that was a lot of work, I know. I see. Thank you, Mr. Grayson. Great! So I got a tea time coming up, so thank you guys again! Thank you. Uh, uh, m Mr. Grayson. One thing. What does Guinness Eagle Loaf taste like? Yeah, it's, it is the cinnamon bread and, and glaze thing. Uh, of course, uh, we modernized it. Uh, Bill, you know all about what we did. It was important to update... The recipe for factory manufacture. The new recipe retains a cinnamon bread adjacent flavor profile, but with a 75% cost reduction. Thanks to the use of partially hydrogenated vegetable shortening, high fructose corn syrup, guar gum, and flour substitute, Derived from corn kernel endosperm, the loaf doesn't require eggs or gluten. <laughs> Bill, where does it come from? The genius!
Peter could feel how crestfallen I was, how I'd been switched off like a light. The atmosphere in the room had changed. She responded with a trademark positivity. Well, without the cinnamon bread concerns in-house, we will have more time to focus on buttery macaron and crisp mirefoire. Uh, Mr. Grayson, I said just as he was turning around to head down a long service hallway and likely back to the executive offices. Mr. Grayson, how come there's every kind of eagle design, eagle cookie, eagle pun, but not a single live eagle anywhere at the Flareton? <laughs> Bill, do you remember those uh, staff town meetings we'd have? Yeah, we used to have them uh, occasionally. This reminds me of the, the stuff that would come up. <laughs> so, uh, Elizabeth, Sub Rosa, the guests, the staff, and no one really, just no one even cares. <laughs> Isn't that right, Bill? A guest, surveys, marketing research, brand identification tests. It all shows resort consumers on affordability, clean rooms, a golf course, covertly providing the players a sense of superior golfing ability. They would like a cost-efficient restaurant, including inexpensive ribeye steak, and they wish for a swimming pool based around their children's enjoyment and safety. There's no mention of natural beauty, endangered species, or any particular bird. The real eagles the people want to see at the Flareton are the ones inscribed on cold hard cash in the pockets they have as they drive home. <laughs> in the middle of that afternoon, the same day, a few hours after the surprise meeting with Guinness Grayson, and Bill, I turned the corner coming back from a break to find Ida sitting on a stool in uncharacteristic stillness. This was odd given her usual employee of the month level busyness and low-grade obsessive productivity. I have just returned from the offices of... The human resources, they delivered what I can only understand to be horrible news. I am no longer bakery chef. Say what? According to them, if I wish to continue as an employee of the Flareton, I must take a job as housekeeper. Nah, Ida? I just learned that earlier today, three housekeeping staff have quit, and resort reservations are overbooked. Simply, there is no need for patisserie. Instead, there has been a decision for all baked goods for the entire resort to come from Oak Ridge, 
manufacturing. That damn eagle loaf. Heck, that damn cinnamon bread. What has happened? I ask Ida, was I supposed to go to HR? What about our collegial interactions with Guinness, Grayson, and Bale? No, you do not need to go to HR or meet with anyone here because today is your last day, Elizabeth. I was asked to communicate this to you. Okay. Here is a letter, theoretically, from me to you. Although, of course, I did not write a word of it. I felt the blood drain from my face. I asked Ida, so they didn't say nothing about me joining housekeeping? There is no mention of these things. It merely says many ways to thank you for your service to the Flareton and to include your chef's clothes by self-addressed stamped box, which HR will administer to you via the U.S. mail to your home address. This is bullshit. Yes, I am heartbroken. Well, so much for a World's Fair boomtown ten years later. I would not hate saying goodbye and getting my ass back to Knoxville. Ah, Elizabeth, in addition to the letter, here, please take from me this envelope. Without even looking at it, I could tell there was cash inside. Oh, Ida, no, I, I can't take this. Yes, you must. This is a gift from me. And yet it comes with two ideas. You could keep the money as a goodbye token as you wait for two weeks until senior year of high school. Of course, all babysitting is prohibited during this time. Or, and I made a phone call an hour ago, Dollywood has a zookeeper position. You would assist the chief zookeeper making her rounds each day, including the rounds of the Eagle Sanctuary. It is a volunteer position, perfect for two weeks. You would have this honorarium. That day, everything that could have happened for a summer job seemed like it did. I was dizzy, angry, nauseous, and a tiny bit happy all at once as I sat there with Ida. My brain felt untrustworthy or maybe even malfunctioning between moments of clarity. Because I wasn't confused for a second with Ida's offer. Of course, I knew what I'd be choosing. I said to her, Ida, do you actually think I will take another job where I clean shit out of a creature's living space? Oh, oh dear, I did not think of it this way. It was not my intention to offend. 
Because as long as it's not human poo or bodily fluids, this Dollywood thing sounds amazing. Did you give me a phone number? It is written on the paper-clipped Dollywood business card attached to the cash. Most wonderful. I had an impression you would choose this opportunity. And also a chance to experience something particularly free, particularly open. Thank you so much for listening to this production from The Attentionist, entitled Sub Rosa. The music for this episode was created by musician New Alchemist with a dollar sign for the S. And the name of the track used and edited and manipulated a bit by me, Your World. And I really appreciate New Alchemist and the chance to use this licensed music. For more information on this podcast slash work that I do, you can go to theattentionist.com website. You can also support the show going to patreon.com looking for my name, spelled with a G, Geoffrey, G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y, Jeffrey Little. And there's goodies as you begin a paid subscription, and it really helps the show and helps support the endeavors that go on to make these productions possible. So thankful for the Patreons that are already a part of this. Thank you, Patreons. If you'd like to give me any feedback of any kind, do write my email, lilwhq at gmail.com. Thank you again for being a part of these many episodes that are available. I look forward to the next time I'm able to release something for you. Until then, thank you. Thank you.